We are delighted to partner with Jane Plan, the UK's leading weight management system, for this season. Use unique code TWC50 for an incredible £50 off at www.janeplan.com. I know these moments I'm sure lots of you can relate to where I'd walk past her room and she wouldn't be there. And it would just fill me... I felt really sad, really sad about it. Um, and of course I've learned an enormous amount now so it's four years since then and that's what I've learned you've got to go with a different kind of roller coaster one where you are not in control as a parent anymore because they choose as and when they're going to come back mine sometimes give me warning sometimes don't and I always say that you can't expect there to be any food in the fridge if you don't tell me because we survive on what they think is empty air and we're not they're not here <laughs> Welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. And we're right in the middle of what I call a very sad season. Other parents might say, don't let the front door hit you on the way out, but it's empty nester season. All the kids are going off to college and university. A lot of kids have already gone in the States, of course, but in the UK, everyone is starting to leave this week. Mm, Yeah, I remember. I remember it well, but got through it. That's the most important thing. Well, we met, didn't we? I mean, we met at that that sort of pivotal moment it of was. our lives. We did. We did. I still get struck by it. Sometimes it's completely unguarded time. moments. Yeah. I, I feel really quite emotional, quite tearful. And, you know, my kids are two or off book. They're, you know, working. And I've got one who's still at university. But when any of them leave... I feel sad. I really do. And I miss them. You can't, unless you've been through it, you don't know what it, how it feels like. And Christmas is a terrible time every year. I think it's always going to be. But they do come back. I think that's the one thing that we forget that, well, most of them do. And you have a different relationship with them. They're now adults. Uh, my daughter, she doesn't live that far away. So therefore she pops back, which I'm I love. I'm so envious yeah, of that, Liz. But it is so nice. I'll never have that. You might. No, I mean, unless I go and purposely plonk myself quite close to where one of them live. I've got yeah. them in different states and different mm. countries. And I think that... Actually, I think you've nailed it. I think that was what made me feel really sad when I was in Denver and I was getting these feelings of, I am never going to have all my children in one town. That's not to be expected. But I'm also never going to be... It's not un, It's not unlikely that people, are, they're going to just like, oh, I'll just nip around and see if mum's okay. I'll go and have a cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah, I always... I remember when I had the kids, and usually I got two older stepsons, and they're all very close and we're close. I always thought that we'd all be in the same town almost, like London, you know, London, but, you know, nearby within a sort of 30, 40 mile radius. And they'd all be meeting each other for Sunday lunch yeah. and we'd have them over. And it's, it's, we realise it's a dream. In this modern world, it's a global world. We, we can't expect that. It's very rare that many people have that. Mm. But there's no harm in dreaming of it. There's no harm in dreaming. And But, I mean, what we do realise is that for you who are becoming empty nesters, this first time round, maybe it's the first who leaves the nest, maybe it's the last who leaves the nest. It is a change in your life and it is hard. I mean, I think a lot of people say I was completely unprepared for the Mm -hmm. feelings, didn't know I was going to feel so sad. Um, But we've got a guest on today who I think you'll find quite inspiring because it does get better and it gets better the more that you do to make it get better. Mm -hmm. So it takes some action, it takes some bereavement. I mean, people literally talk about the empty nest as as a kind of grief and it's not just us is it it's, no. it's the dads Let's yeah that's what we it. forget about they they we think they're in the background almost with the kids because a lot of time they are but they they really miss them they do and it's the siblings i mean it's it's, it's getting further away for us but i remember when the girls left and 
my lucky son had me all <laughs> to himself. But, you know, that first time when you're setting the table and there's one less oh, knife and fork at the table or you're cooking a meal and you still cook it for five and you only need four portions. That's you your know, excuse. Yeah. There's all those little, like, moments that you say, oh, you're out in the... You're going to Sainsbury's or the the grocery store and you think, oh, I'll pick up some Pringles because Josh will love them. Oh. He's not there. He's not there. But but, the, but that's the negatives. But the positives is it does get better, you said, and you get them back and they're different. And generally, I say, for the better. Yeah. Well, I think it converts to a deeper adult-based relationship, which I think we start gaining a lot from in a different way because I know that I ask all three of them, you know, do I look okay in this? What do you think I should wear? Is this the right way to respond? Can you help us with the website? Did you download the podcast? <laughs> well, as I told you recently, I was sort of f- filming myself to, to send to my daughter, say, does this go together? And she politely said no. Because um, Liz is colourblind. <laughs> <laughs> do you like a bright colour, but they don't always go together. Oh, I think you look great today. I love that lovely green yeah, on I'm you. It looks sure, really yeah, good. Yeah, but but no, that, I mean, it's things that we didn't ask our, our children when they were children. Oh, yeah. We're asking them now they're adult kids. Anyway, we should get on. We could talk all day about empty nests, but we really want to get on somebody that I'm pretty sure you will recognise um, from BBC Breakfast News. Um, and it's Louise Minchin, who was very vocal, wasn't she, when her daughter, her second daughter, left for university last year. So we thought we'd have her on and just tell us about her journey and maybe you'll empathise with a lot of what she's gone through and maybe you'll be really inspired by what she decided to do. Louise Minchin is a well-known and respected broadcaster and journalist and she presented the UK's most watched breakfast programme on BBC Breakfast for 20 years until just a couple of years ago. She's chair of the 2023 judging panel for the prestigious literary award, the Women's Prize for Fiction. Um, That was a really good one this year. And this year, she's also published Fearless, which tells the stories of ordinary women who perform extraordinary feats of endurance and joins them on their incredible adventures. She's always willing to step out of her comfort zone, having competed in I'm a Celebrity Castle Season 2021, and possibly harder than facing bugs, snakes and spiders, completed 25 triathlons representing Great Britain in the World and European Championships. And when her daughters left for university, Louise was very vocal about the visceral loss, the empty nest syndrome that completely took you by surprise, really, did Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much. Listening to that, I feel exhausted listening to the things I've done. Uh, Anyway, um, but yes, so when did my daughter leave? So she just graduated from uni and she did four years. So four years ago, this time four years ago, I was really extraordinarily unprepared for her leaving home. You know, I kind of knew she was going to uni and she wouldn't be here, but I had no concept and nobody talked about it. I think it's a sort of great hidden secret of parenthood that you are going to, well, personally, I missed her, as you say, in a really visceral way. It was like a sort of, I can only describe it um, as a sort of form of grieving. Suddenly, and it wasn't suddenly, because I knew there was a huge, you know, build up to it she wasn't here anymore but I didn't know how much her presence was part of my everyday well-being actually and there were these moments I'm sure lots of you can relate to where I'd walk past her room and she wouldn't be there and it would just fill me I felt really sad 
really sad about it. Um, and of course, I've learned an enormous amount now. So it's, it's four years since then, and she's back today, and she's comes back often. And my other daughter is at uni, and guess what? She's going in a couple of weeks, and she will come back often. And that's what I've learned. You've got to go with a different kind of roller coaster, one where you are not in control as a parent anymore because they choose as and when they're going to come back. Mine sometimes give me warning, sometimes don't. And I always say that you can't expect there to be any food in the fridge if you don't tell me because we survive on what they think is empty air when we're not, they're not here. So, but I've learned a huge amount and I've learned that, of course, that's not the end of the story, is it? You know, they're going to come back, but it's just really different to how it is while you've been, you know, taking them to school for all those years and having them, you know, as your responsibility 24 hours a day. Yeah, your whole routine changes, doesn't it? You're not, you know, meeting with parents at the school gates, perhaps. You're not buying as much in your groceries. You're not, you, you don't have that established sense of, yeah, the routine and the noise. I th that's what struck me was the quietness. So you talked about the routine, the loss of routine. Absolutely. Uh, that is a real, really, you know, because it gives you a structure, doesn't it? Not just to your day. It gives you a structure to what you buy and where you go. And also, of course, to your holidays, lots of different things. And you're right. I mean, I don't live with, I imagine, I mean, maybe I'm being really judgmental here and stereotypical that boys might be louder than girls. I don't know. But so, but you're right. The quiet was also a thing. The silence in the house. I've learned to, I've learned to embrace that and to enjoy that now, but there's big changes. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think it's very easy to assume that it's, it's always the mother's that feel, you know, this bereavement as, the, as their kids go. But I think it's really hard for dads too. And you don't see too many dads. Uh, I think Gordon Ramsay was very vocal yeah. about this, wasn't he? But dads don't get the spotlight thrown on them, do they? That they've lost their best mate. They've lost their, you know, the person that they banter with over the supper table as well. I think it can be very hard. Was your husband quite affected? I think, I mean, I'm, I really genuinely do think less so than me. Because not because of anything, really, just because he's he's a bit more um, self-contained, I think. You know, he's got, for example, the garden is his solace and he'll go out there for hours. And I think he probably just thought, you know what I mean? He would just he just can be there for hours and he did more of that, probably. So I'm not doing him disservice, but I think he felt he did feel it, but not in the same kind of, you know, that visceral way that I did. You have really been quite groundbreaking getting the BBC to talk about menopause before sort of lots of you know more vocal but like Davina McCall and every everybody started talking about it you got it on the BBC and now one of the things that I think is very difficult for women is that this empty nest does tend to happen at about the same time we're experiencing menopause so we're dealing with an awful lot of emotions would would you say that made it harder or you know how did it work for you uh well I sort of feel quite lucky in that it didn't happen at the same time luckily I'd already been through my what I would call my highs well mostly lows with menopause had been thankfully uh, some years previous to that when when she left but that's not to say that you know I mean menopause and you would have talked about it so much in the podcast has so many both physical and psychological implications and for me the psychological implications, you know, the sort of, um, I felt really anxious. I felt really uncomfortable in my own body. And, you know, I was going through these sort of hormonal fluctuations at the same time as my eldest daughter, Mia. So that was, that was hard. But yeah, I mean, the thought of having to go through, 
you know, both empty nest syndrome and also menopause at the same time is really, that would be very impactful because you wouldn't be able to unpick which is which. Do you see what I mean? So it'd be very hard for people trying to manage those two things at the same time. Well, I remember hearing you say about Mia going through um, a lot of teenage hormones at the same time as you were. Now that she's older, both your daughters, Mia and Scarlett, now that they're older, do they look at you as a role model? And are they really proud of you? Because you've not only did you get menopause talked about first on the BBC, but you've also fought for equality. I would love to have you as a mum. I think you're amazing. Um, because you went for equal pay as your male co-presenters. And what I really loved, because I listened to a talk that you did um, earlier this year, and you did it through data. You didn't just do it like, oh, come on now, I, I, I should be paid the same. When they when you took it to them, they said, no, no, I think you're imagining it. Don't be ridiculous. Like, well, actually, I've got a notebook here and I can tell you exactly how many times my co-presenter led it and said hello first. You're, you've left a legacy behind you, haven't you, at, at the BBC? How do you feel about that, that you fought so hard and you won? Um, that's so, yeah, thank you so much for saying that. And sometimes I'm a really naggy mum, so don't worry, you, you will, you will. <laughs> You're well away from me. I'll be nagging you to go out for a run and do this and that. So, but the girls know that that's that's where that's my happy place. So they're happy for me to go running. So, and Mia comes with me now. Um, so with legacy, um, gosh, it's a big word, isn't it? And I feel that was the really, to be honest with you, because I think when somebody said something really clever to me the other day about the the battles you have to fight for are not on your own behalf. Those are the important ones to go into battle for. And actually, that's what it was for me. It was important to me, but it was more important that I kind of put, hopefully, hopefully, a marker in the sand where it means that whoever presents breakfast now or in the future will get paid the same amount as the person who sits next to them, you know? And will, you know, and that they share the lead intro and they share the interviews and everything, that everything is you know, I would just want to see 50-50 or just, you know, parity or whatever it is, whatever you call it, fairness. And, and that for me was way more important that, that when I left, it should carry on than actually, because I think these battles, they're hard won and they leave you damaged. But actually, when you can see that it's more than about you, then actually that's really empowering and actually made it all worthwhile. It's 50 years since the WTA, Billie Jean King and her cohorts fought for equal pay. 50 years. And for you, it's only a few years since the media caught up on equal pay. Um, it, we're still fighting the fight, aren't we? To, to Just for equality, really. Yeah. And I think you have to be really careful because, you know, you don't want things to go backwards either, because sometimes, you know, I know, for example, before on BBC Breakfast, it was shared that, you know, who would do the lead intro, etc. And then how did it get to going that it wasn't? I don't know. Do you sort of mean? So you always have to be very aware, I think, that, you know, you have this line in the sand and let's move forward from it and make sure we don't go backwards from it. So, yeah, you know, things things hopefully are changing, but, you know, we just need to keep our foot on the pedal, I think. I'm, I'm not there with the pedal, with my foot on the pedal anymore, thankfully. But it's down to other people to keep doing that now. If, like me, you're looking to lose weight, then take a look at Jane Plan. Jane Plan is the UK's leading weight management system that creates deliciously healthy meals and delivers them directly to your door. Together with their support, you'll lose weight, feel healthier, happier and more in control of your eating habits. Created by nutritionist Jane Michelle, Jane Plan is the easy and healthy way to lose weight. All your breakfasts, lunch, dinners and snacks are pre-prepared, perfectly portioned and nutritious. 
taking the worry away when it comes to managing your weight. There's no calorie counting, no weighing, no complicated recipes to follow, and virtually no shopping either. In fact, all you need to do is heat and eat. And with personalised support from their qualified nutritionists, you'll join over 100,000 Jane planners who have lost weight and kept it off. And as midlife women, by the way, of course you can't be my mother because we're about the same age. (laughs) I didn't mean it in that way whatsoever. (laughs) You wouldn't want that. (laughs) But as midlife women, um, you know, you're... You're confident. You are fearless, as your as your book suggests. You you do go on adventures, and you're 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 clearly challenged. But not uncommon for for women at our age to sort of lose our purpose, to feel a little bit irrelevant, perhaps. And Liz and I were talking about when you get to midlife, and, and it's hard to re-establish boundaries and and maybe dip your toe in the water. It's it's not necessarily climbing. Everest or ice ice diving. Oh my god, we've got to get onto that because I've I'm still having a bit of a panic attack having read that. How do you get your toe in the water and be brave when it, it can be small steps, incremental perhaps? Well, I think you've answered your own question. I actually. think I just did. So I'm not sure I'm gonna get a seat on the sofa at the BBC, am I? No. <laughs> <laughs> but but what you said's really important. Okay. So, you know, I don't let's say let's take one of the examples. So, I cycled with Mimi Anderson by the way, who is six over 60. She's an incredible endurance athlete, was an ultra runner and now does incredible cycling um adventures and she's a grandmother. I think she's got four grandchildren. So, you know, she's she puts us all to shame, right? So, you can do things when you're older. And I came sort of late to sport. I only started when I was 45. I'm now just 55. But you don't cycle across Argentina like Mimi and I did by just getting on your bike and cycling across Argentina. You know? It's all about those small steps. And those small steps can feel scary, but every time you do something. So, for example, I've done Couch to 5K, which I think is a brilliant, you know, it's an app and it's an absolutely brilliant. It holds your hand through literally sitting here on the sofa like I am now to running, hopefully after, I think it's nine weeks, isn't it? Um, Running at least 30 minutes, but hopefully 5K or more or less 5K because I don't do, I don't do 5K in 30 minutes, by the way, and I take longer. So don't, and and it's not about numbers, guys, by the way, it's not. Um, So it's all about, I think, small steps. And so just start small, start with But the key to me, I think, is setting yourself a goal. So have something that you want to do. And it could be, let's take that 5K as an example. Maybe you've never been a runner. Maybe you've always fancied running. But there's so many things, the reasons why you don't want to. You don't know where to start. You don't, you think you're going to be exhausted. You think it's going to hurt. I'm just giving some of them coming to the top of my head. I'm probably, you've got your own examples. But, um, you know, start Set a goal, so it might be 5K. Find someone to go and do it with as well. Like, for example, you two together would make a great, awesome team to go and do something. Tell other people about it because then they're expecting you to do it and start slowly, but incremental steps. You know, I started with, you know, my triathlon. Well, I started with the the bike ride on BBC Breakfast where I'd never even been on a racing bike. And then, you know, have a moment of years, I think about, actually, it was only about nine months later, I'm suddenly doing a triathlon. But, you know, start small, start small. Because the reason to do all of this is because I think particularly at midlife and as, as women, um, I get so much confidence and strength from sport. And that is confidence really, you know, it's like this virtuous circle. 
a confidence both in my psyche and my mentality and also in my body. You know, my body is strong and I also get that physical strength. You know, I get out of bed in the morning and I feel stronger possibly now than I did when I was when I started for 10 years ago. So I'm stronger at 55 than I was at 45. And I think that's really important going forward for our physical well-being. Yeah, we have a long time left these days. You know, midlife really does mean midlife, doesn't it? We're not looking at retiring at 60 and, you know, just settling into a nice retirement with bingo. We've got many, many years that we should be active and use our brains and our bodies to to do the most that we can in the time that we have. And you have. So let's let's take it to your book because I'm not kidding. Liz and I, we were talking about a couple of the adventures that you have. And Louise brought out a book in May this year, I think it was, called Fearless. And it's these extraordinary adventures with ordinary women. One of the things that you did was swimming to Alcatraz in San Francisco. And I was there just like two weeks ago. And I was looking at Alcatraz, having read this book. And I was like, that's quite a long way. And (laughs) there are sharks in there. But what I do love is that you do your due diligence and you put it in perspective and you said it was shark inhabited, (laughs) not infested, which obviously makes all the difference in the world, right? (laughs) Tell us about that one. Yeah, I love that you've you've been there. Um, So it's called Fearless Adventures with Extraordinary Women. You can buy it, by the way, in most good bookshops and also on online, etc. Anyway, thank you very much for talking about it. It's my absolute, been my passion for the last year and a half that I was researching and writing it. Alcatraz. So what I wanted to do in this book is I wanted to celebrate stories about brave, intrepid, courageous women, because I don't think we hear enough women's stories like that. You know, I know because I sat there on the sofa for 20 years interviewing incredibly brave, intrepid, courageous men. But I eventually thought, where are the women? The answer to the question is a lot of them, and there are so many more out there, you'll all know of one. Um, we don't celebrate their stories, and they're in the but there are lots of them in this book. Anyway, Alcatraz, why did I so it was a swim from Alcatraz? I wanted to meet all these people and talk to them doing what they think is fun. And Mitalia and I are two young girls, they're I think they're 19 and 21 when I met them. They've done this swim, and you're right, it's all wrong. You say we're gonna do the swim from Alcatraz. You know, it's a prison that you can't escape from because there are very fast currents that will kill you. And if they don't, there are sharks that live there. Anyway, it's all wrong, isn't it? But I met these two young women. They've done that swim 75 times each. And it was for me. I mean, I'm a swimmer. I love water. I love what I would call adventure swimming. Jumping off a ferry by Alcatraz. And then you've got this extraordinary view over Golden Gate Bridge and um, up to San Francisco. And, you know, we've seen San Francisco in the movies and we've seen Alcatraz in the movies, haven't we? But it's quite something else when you suddenly jumped off a ferry and you've got over a mile, whatever. I think it's about a mile and a half to swim. I love being adventurous. I love being with people who are challenging themselves. And actually, to be honest with you, probably wasn't much of a challenge for them, but it was for me that day, definitely. I mean, I think we learned so much from from watching other people pushing their boundaries. Mm. And well, I've got to ask you about the ice diving that that swimming under a meter of ice which but listen I were talking about my heart was racing just reading about it I just think of that film was it the omen when when the boy goes under the ice I I could never oh gosh yes good point that's all I could see when I was reading it I was like oh that's all I could think of (laughs) it's so claustrophobic and god I can't imagine I mean that is 
pure fear for me. Mm. And it was for you, actually, when you first went in, right? Yeah, so so I'll just quickly take people to... I was doing this with Kath Pendleton, who any of you... I know, don't know if people will know her, but that's the point of the book. She's an ice swimmer. She's called the Mirtha Mermaid. She's got a Guinness World Record for swimming the southernmost mile in the Antarctic. So that's Kath. She is a tour de force. She's amazing. She and I... She, I phoned her up and said, I want you to be in the book. What should we do? She said, let's go free diving under ice. Free diving for the uninitiated is going underwater with no oxygen. So no, you know, it's like scuba diving, but with no air. I mean, my idea of actually sort of brilliant because I, I love swimming. I love going underwater and I love scuba diving. So I thought the two together be, would be fantastic. Um, just note to everybody who's listened to this podcast, free diving is extremely dangerous. There is a danger of death. Uh, you never do it alone and you always do it as a qualified free diver. So I am a qualified free diver now. I was not. So Kath and I go on this adventure and the first free dive I did, not in a swimming pool, was in the dark under ice. I mean, you how to turn the dial up on your fear factor by about 25 million. I can't imagine. <laughs> you can. The trouble is you can imagine. Give you, and it's giving people anxiety dreams. I'd physically be sick. <laughs> I think. Yeah, can you imagine? You'd be sick underwater. <laughs> Why did you decide to do it at night? Well, because because Kath and I, because we're busy midlife women, we, we were juggling children and jobs and whatever we were juggling and we couldn't get there before dark. Anyway, so that yeah, the first time I went in, it was utterly blew my mind because it's pitch dark, it's freezing cold, obviously because there's ice. We were wearing wetsuits, but, you know, I got in and the first thing I didn't realise was because you're buoyant because of your wetsuit and because of the air in your lungs, you push straight up against the ice. So you, you, I couldn't even swim at the first few seconds. It was, and I know I really scare people in the book, um, it was terrifying, exhilarating and also utterly brilliant. And I loathed and loved every second of it. And I, as soon as I came out of that, I got, because it's, it's 15 metres long, Came up, laughed, and did it again. <laughs> but I do, I do accept that that's not it's not normal. It's like little kids going up, you know, going down the slide again or something, isn't it? <laughs> oh well, that's. I mean, we could go into all of them. You've done cycling and biking and mountaineering and paddleboard. I like the paddleboard. I loved all the women coming together on the paddleboard. Actually, um, indoor climbing, ultra running. But one theme that we both noticed that seemed to come up a lot was body image, eating disorders, Gadina Cox. She's fantastic. I loved her on I'm a Celebrity because I'd never come across her before, but she's quite an inspiration, isn't she? But again and again, I noticed that in your chapters, um, some people didn't like their bodies. I think it was Kath Pendleton actually referred to herself as, oh, I don't like seeing myself. But they're all like gutsy, fab, inspirational women. And I did notice that that seemed to be a key message is to rejoice in what your body can do not just how it looks. That's exactly, you've put, I think you've put, the, you're, you've absolutely nailed it there. And that's what I came out of. So when I was 15, and it says it in the book, I gave up sport, I gave up swimming because I was concerned about my body image, about my muscly shoulders. And that was a theme that just kept coming up over and over again. And I think what the book actually is, is a sort of celebration of women's bodies in some ways, because the people in the book are all different types of people and shapes and sizes and they've come from all sorts of different places. And I just think we all, the key message about the book is not what anybody looks like, it's what they can do with their bodies. And Mimi really put, Mimi Anderson, I mentioned before, really kind of nailed it for me. She said, you know, I'm proud of what my body can do 
not about what it looks like. And for me, that's exactly how I feel. I feel really proud that I look back at that book and I could, I did all those things. My 55-year-old, sometimes quite achy, <laughs> with a knee injury, which is now fixed, by the way, body, can do stuff that I didn't think was possible. And I think we all can. And our bodies are amazing. And we can, we're much more capable than we think we possibly are. We underestimate ourselves, don't we? I think we try and stay in the safe lane all the time, don't we? I think possibly I, I go in the dangerous lane. But but, you but, but I think that's what's good about the book. When I was reading it, it made me think that, you know, I do stay, I mean, I, I vary a bit, but I, you know, a lot of us just stay in that safe lane. And, and why? You know, why, why don't I do something a bit more ambitious? What's your next plan? Oh, Liz, what is my next plan? That's a really good point. Oh, yes, actually, I, I can't I can't tell everybody mention much about it, but I think I did indicate to you two that I was being a bit busy this summer because I've been writing something else, which is super, super exciting. But the thing that I, I feel very excited about as a sort of midlife woman like you two is that, you know, I've had a, I had a career which I absolutely loved and I, you know, I felt very lucky to be able to call time on it in the way that I want, you know, that I chose to, etc. For So for two years, essentially, I've been writing and it takes quite a thing to sort of change your, you know, your career and what you call yourself. And I was walking in this weekend to Chiswick Book Festival and I'm doing loads of book festivals over the next sort of month or so before Christmas for the, you know, for the book and try and get sales out there, try and spread the message. So thank you for spreading the message. And I walked in going, I'm a writer. And that's so exciting. And I, I think, I think you know, it takes a massive pivot to, to do that and to call you. But I think when you start calling yourself something different, and it doesn't matter that other people don't call me that, but I'm a writer. I've got two books out already. And the most exciting th thing for me about that is I've done two years of pretty much writing and I still love it. And I think, thank goodness I still love it because that must mean it's okay. You know, it must mean that I can continue to do this and, you know, hopefully people buy this book and all the rest of it. But this has been a long term plan. It's not like I suddenly wrote a book like that. You know, I've, I've thought about it for a long time. My last book came out five years ago or so. So, yeah, no, I'm super excited. I think we can do that even later in life. You know, you could become a bridge player or something different that you haven't done before. A quizzer. I'm terrible at quizzes, by the way. A podcast host. A podcast host, exactly. <laughs> So basically, be fearless. Just, you know, and don't be afraid to, I mean, I think I feel lucky because I don't be afraid to fall flat on your face. I think that's a lot of an inhibitor for people. They just think, oh, I'm going to look like a fool. You know what? Who cares? Who cares? You care. You care. But don't worry. Let, don't let other what you think other people are going to think because you don't know what they're going to think anyway. Do you sort of mean you're not in control of what they think or what they do. So just go give it a go. And if, if you're not good at it, you'll find something else, but just keep trying stuff. I mean, I remember going on MasterChef and my friends were just, my friends who know me were like, Louise, but you're really terrible at cooking. I was like, yeah, I know that. So, uh, you know, why, why, you know, why don't, you know, don't tell me something I don't know. The only way is to fail. And guess what? I came, I was in, the, I was in the final because I didn't know. I was just like brave and tried it and didn't know what could go wrong. So look at you two, you're a podcast host now. It's fantastic. And that's the thing, isn't it, about being fearless, being brave, that, a byproduct of that is just gaining a bit of confidence back. And I think going back to Empty Nest, if you can just gain a bit of confidence, try a new hobby, try a new thing, set a goal, as you said earlier, it is remarkable how an empty nest becomes a very full life in the end, doesn't it? I think you make a really good point. And I think you've got to do that for yourself because otherwise you're 
just going to end up, or I would have felt just desperately, desperately sad. I'm not saying I wasn't really sad on occasions, but you've got to build that. And also the, the only annoying thing is that empty nester is you've got to also have space. Not annoying. It's lovely. It's lovely. I love having them back. I love having them back. But, you know, you've got to be super flexible, haven't you? You've got to be super flexible and ready to go to wherever it is, Asda, and get some food. They forget that we have our own lives. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, I think I hope that everybody does feel that, you know, at some point you don't feel the grief so, so much and you start reconnecting perhaps with your spouse and you start trying new things and you can be fearless and you can buy Louise Minchin's book, Fearless, at all good bookstores and online. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom. You've been an absolute joy to talk to. Well, so have you two. Um, and it's, I know it's a hot day down where you are. It's raining now, so I'll send you some nice rainy Ooh, thoughts. Oh, need I? it. But listen, thank you very much indeed. And can, continue to do what you do because it's it's fun. And I think, you know, we need, personally, I just I know I'm kind of relentlessly optimistic, but, you know, there is stuff out there for us all to go out and enjoy. Oh, that is yeah. a T-shirt right there. Relentlessly optimistic. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Louise. Thanks so much. Do you know what she says in her book is that she did stuff with women who inspire younger women who are inspirational. But I think that she's inspiring older women like me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think it, maybe it's because my time of life. I don't know. But I really have been inspired. And, you know, we interviewed Penny Mallory a while back mm. and she said about, you know, you know, mental toughness and have a cold shower. Well, I do that every morning. and I think I'm ready now to do cold water swimming after reading that book. Honestly. Really? Yep. Yeah. Is it called a wild swimming, is it called? I think I'm going to go for it. I've looked it up already. I'm going to sign up after this. Really? Why not? Why don't I? Why don't I do it? Have you ever done anything like that? Do you like, do you like I've actually... I've been in the cold? sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Northumberland coast or something. Yeah, no, I'm like, like mm, yeah. No, don't turn me off. You put me off already. <laughs> no, I'm going to do it because, and I don't mean in the middle of the summer, I mean in the winter, because, do you know, it's really good for weight loss as well. Is it? Mm. But... I think I need to get my heart checked out first because I think when I go in the really cold water, like in a really cold swimming pool, I do find my breath takes, gets taken away and I think I need to just get that checked. Well, they do say that. I mean, before you undertake anything that's radically different from what you usually yeah. do, you should just just go and get a checkup and make sure that your heart can take it yeah. and that you're in good enough condition or just start really, really slowly. Well, I think the thing is swimming outdoors is completely different to in a swimming pool. You know, the sea, you, you know what to expect, but sort of lakes in particular and rivers are quite are dangerous. And mm. I think you forget is the currents and just lakes generally. You've got stuff underneath that, you know, you don't know what you're going to hit. Well, I'm impressed, Liz. I really am. I've done it yet. Yeah, well, personally, I'm going to stick to a pool bar. <laughs> That's as much wet. as, Or I, I might actually turn the hose on myself because it was, what, 32 degrees during our interview. interview yeah. And we yeah. were sweltering, sweltering. Oh, well. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. Really, really yeah, love, lovely lady. Oh, she's very gracious and she's super inspiring. I, lo- I, I do recommend the book. Actually, it's it's mm. great for any age. But it there is just such a, a warmth to her writing and a sort of a giddiness with the excitement that she goes through. And you do really feel like that you're there you're- with her in the moment. Which you know, as we yeah. said during the interview, not kidding. Um, I. My pulse was racing just reading about the ice. I just visualised it, and that's how she writes. She she gets gets it, the moment across, and and the fear or the or the excitement and you the feel passion. like you're with her. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather not be under the ice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not with her. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but I would. Yeah, she, she was super guest and absolutely lovely to have. So, you know, if you are you know going through an empty nest, 
we don't deny it's hard. We don't because it is. And that's realistic that it, it is going to be difficult to start with. But it does get easier and it gets easier the more that you do. Would you agree? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's no harm in having a good cry every now and again and missing. You, know, you want to, you know, it's good to miss them, I think. But, I think you know. there's many a mother, including me, that has sat in a car and just had a good old ball and just got it out of my system for a bit. And then. But then, you know, they come back. Yeah. Yeah. And then they do eye rolls again. What is with that? Well, I haven't had that. They're like, oh, no. mine were. They're like teenagers again. But lovely, lovely, lovely kids. And I'm very, very proud of mine. And I really love having a more adult relationship with them. It's been it's been fantastic. That's what comes next. The adult, as I said earlier on, it's the adult conversations and it's just enjoyable. Well, that's all from us. And uh, you can find more about empty nest syndrome. We've interviewed people in the past like Celia Dodd. Dominic Thompson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You f- find them on our midlife library. We've got lots of resources on there. Um, some book recommendations and, you know, some ideas on how you can get um, support, how you can, you know, do stuff in the community, in volunteering aspects and things. Yeah, it doesn't all have to be physical. You don't have to climb a mountain. You could just go and work in Oxfam and just meet people. Yep. Yeah. So that's all from us. Chat soon. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages. 